Good morning again, everybody. You might like to keep your Bibles open to um, page 818 because we're looking at Jesus walks on the water. And we're halfway through a series of sermons where we're looking at miracles in Mark's gospel. And the main idea, which you, you already know if, um, if, if you've heard any other of these talks, is that, is that miracles are actually an amazingly articulate form of communication. Miracles say so much, it's miraculous. Thank you, sweetheart. That's, good. That's great. There we are. <clears throat> Uh, miracles say so much, it's miraculous. Um, this action of Jesus walking on, on the seas, it's, it's recorded in three of the four Gospels. We find it in Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke uh, doesn't mention it. Um, but all of the three accounts that we have, they paint the same picture. And, and here are the main elements. Well, immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus and his disciples part company. It's already sunset or early evening. The disciples get into a boat and they set out for the other side of Lake Galilee. Jesus goes up a mountainside to pray by himself in the wilderness. Some time passes. On the lake, the weather is against them. The wind and the waves are opposing them. Jesus takes action so as to join them, walking out to them on the lake. They see him and are terrified. Jesus calls out to them, reassuring them, saying, It's me, don't be afraid. Jesus gets into the boat, and immediately things change. They arrive at their destination and begin a day of ministry, healing the sick, preaching the word to the gathering crowd. Well, that's what all three accounts have in common. Each separate account adds its own little details in various places. Today we'll be concentrating on Mark's account, page 818 in the Pew Bible, but occasionally I'm going to refer uh, to the other accounts where their details might help us resolve things. So let's start, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up a mountainside to pray. Uh, Just a few things to notice before we move on. Firstly, the language actually really suggests urgency, especially in the Greek. Um, The New American Standard Bible translates it this way. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Jesus Jesus made, Jesus compelled, Jesus forced his disciples to get into that boat. It's a strong verb. Jesus dismissed the crowd, sent the people away, told them to disband, to go home. Jesus said goodbye, a formal word, which indicates that in some way he formally brought the interaction between himself and the crowd to a close. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for coming. Good night and goodbye. Go home now, please. It appears that in Christ's mind, it's urgent that the disciples get out of there as soon as possible. It's urgent that the crowd disbands and dissipates, and it's urgent that he finds a solitary place to pray. How are we to understand this urgency? Well, actually, John's gospel really helps us out here. 
Um, to be sure, you know, immediately is, is, you know, Mark's gospel is full of action and sudden changes. Immediately is kind of like a bit of a catchphrase of Mark's. But, but John's account kind of slows down a bit and helps us to understand a bit more. Um, chapter 6 of John's gospel, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Well, so according to John, see the crowd, they recognized that they'd been miraculously fed. And they're waiting, of course, for the Messiah, the, the king from God. And that person, as far as they're concerned, well, he's going to call together an army and kick out the Romans. That'll be great. And here now, here now we have a messianic contender. He's, he's one who teaches righteousness. But in addition to that, he heals the sick, he raises the dead, and he feeds multitudes. We're going to be invincible. But Jesus is not that kind of a king. Uh, he's actually come to defeat a greater foe. And so the urgency to disband is actually before things get out of hand. Um, So that's one thing to notice, that there's urgency here. And the second thing to notice is that in response to that urgency, there's a command, an instruction. The disciples are commanded to go ahead of Jesus to Bethsaida. That's the instruction. They're going to meet again in the morning in Bethsaida. We'll meet again tomorrow morning, Bethsaida. And this is not the first time that Jesus has issued his disciples a command. And each time he does so, the point is this. Do do, do the disciples realize that Jesus' command is his enabling? If he calls us to do something, we already have the power and authority to overcome all opposition. Jesus says, Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, drive out demons. And they do so because Christ has given them the power and authority to be obedient to his command. Jesus says, you give the people something to eat. And lo and behold, they find that they can. Because Christ has given them the power and the authority to obey him. So how will they fare now? Will they realize that they have the power and authority to overcome all opposition? And the third thing to notice, Jesus goes off by himself to a mountainside to pray. I think we are right in thinking that Jesus needed to do this. And that's why he did it. Ministry is draining. Jesus, I imagine, will have felt drained empty, flat, and he knew that he needed to be refilled. He needed time alone with his father. And if Jesus needs that, then so do we. Moving on uh, to verses 47 to 50, if if you'll humor me, I'm just going to read a a very literal translation of of how the Greek words, how the Greek reads, verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, 
And he was alone on the land. And seeing them being tortured by the rowing, for the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night, he is walking to them on the sea. And he wanted to pass by them. And seeing him walking on the sea, the one seeing him thought that it was a ghost and screamed. For all of them saw and were distressed. And immediately he spoke with them and he said to them, Be encouraged, it is I, do not fear. Well, uh, Mark, he gives us a lot of detail about timing. John gives us detail about space. From Mark, we uh, know that, that later that night, after he'd prayed, Jesus from the mountainside sees the boat out to sea. They were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. They were rowing. From John's gospel, we get the distance. They're five or six kilometers out on a lake that is about 16 kilometers across at its widest point. Um, uh, from Mark, it's about the fourth watch of the night. That, that is, it's about three o'clock in the morning. They've been rowing, let's say, since 8 p.m. They've made five or six kilometers since 8 p.m. They're moving at or slower than one kilometer an hour. They're barely making any headway at all. Um, they're moving so slowly it's heartbreaking. From Jesus' point of view on the hillside, this is out there. That is a picture of dark futility. Although Jesus had a plan to meet them in Bethsaida, Jesus now changes his plan as an act of compassion. His disciples need his help. And this is a rescue mission. So shortly before dawn, about the fourth watch of the night, each watch is three hours long. The first watch is from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. and so on and so forth. The, the fourth watch ends, ends, ends at 6 a.m. About 3 a.m., Jesus goes out walking on the waters. Presumably, he catches up to them at about 4 a.m. He's made the same distance in an hour that's taken them six hours or 12 hours, or however long it is, 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. Seven hours. Thank you, Helen. Um, 4 a.m., he catches them. We notice, however, that Jesus' rescue mission involved not meeting them in the boat but passing them by. That's an odd type of a rescue. Verse 38, he was about to pass by them. In the Greek, he wanted, he willed, he intended to pass them by. Getting into the boat was actually a second change of plan. What are we to make of that? Why did Jesus want to just walk on by? Why did Jesus just want to walk on by? Well, it's actually because that's what the disciples needed in order to be saved. The Bible opens with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Um, the Bible pictures the universe immediately after creation. It pictures it as a vast, wild, unbounded ocean. Chaotic, formless, empty, dark, and uniform. Hostile to life. But there is God hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God above the waters. In other words, sovereign over chaos. In the beginning, chaos. But God is in charge. As the creation story unfolds, the seas are bounded. Um, above by a dome, below by boundaries the water cannot cross, so that there are now protected spaces, the, the land and the sky. But throughout the rest of Scripture, the seas in, in the Scriptures, the seas continue to represent chaos and randomness, the chaos and randomness that we all experience in life, and that can be terrifying. And the, the, life can be an overwhelming flood, to speak figuratively. It, it contains events that overtake us and sweep us away, to speak metaphorically. Accidental and chance things. A real anti-life evil that exists, even though it is not a malevolent, intelligent or sentient evil. It's, it doesn't have a brain, it's just there, but it's evil. And scripture closes with a promise about the future. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. One day, every aspect of the universe will be subject to God's perfect ordering. There'll be nothing chaotic, nothing chance, nothing random, nothing accidental. No more sea figuratively speaking. So, so what does it mean to, to walk on the waters, to walk on the sea? What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, to put your foot on something or your sandal on something or symbolically to have authority over that place. Moses was told to remove his sandals when he met with the, with, with the Lord, not because his sandals were dirty, but rather because the land was holy. In other words, set apart for God's exclusive use. Moses had no authority there. Therefore, he took off the symbols of his authority, which were his sandals. Um, when you sold a parcel of land, when you sold your house or a farm or a parcel of land in the Old Testament, you took off your sandal and you gave it to the person. You can take it if you like. Gave it to the person buying the land. And now he had authority to walk that land. God said in Psalm 60, we prayed it this morning, Upon Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. He's Lord there. And um, the Hebrew judges and kings, they would sometimes put their foot on the neck of kings that they had conquered. They had defeated in battle. A very clear picture of bringing them under their authority, now completely defeated, now to do their bidding. What was it that disciples needed to see? They needed to see Jesus treading on the waters. That's what they needed to see. Who is this? Who is the one who treads upon the waves? This is God. He has authority over the seas, over everything random, chaotic, chance and accidental. 
This is not about um, a person walking on water, you know, like, wow, that's impossible, that's a really cool magic trick. Um, Rather, this is about Jesus walking on the waters, on, on the seas. For, for, that, for that is how the Jews understood Lake Galilee. It was a sea. It was the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. What Jesus is doing is, is, he, is he is revealing who he is. Jesus, the Son of God, God with us. The, the Lord revealed himself to Moses by describing his character and by passing in front of him. Although actually Moses was hidden in a cleft, so, so God was hidden from Moses. God, Moses didn't get to see him, Exodus 34. The Lord revealed himself to Elijah by speaking to him and by passing in front of him. But as the Lord passed in front of Elijah, he pulled his cloak over his face so that he wouldn't see God face to face, First Kings 19. Job complains, this morning we heard him, he complains that although God has made the heavens and although he walks upon the waves of the sea, he cannot see him when he passes by. In Jesus, this is no longer true. This is the Lord God Almighty passing by. God in full view, the creator with us. And that is saving information. The the miracle shows us who Jesus is. He is God with us, the Son of God. The miracle shows us what Jesus came to do. He came to walk on by in order that we might see who he is because when we see who he is, we're saved. When we, when we understand, when we see and understand, when we put our faith in Jesus uh, that he is God with us, we are saved. Um, God counts us forgiven, justified, his children. That's all that needed to happen. For Jesus just to walk on by and for the disciples to see. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. But they didn't see. Actually, they did see and they screamed. Again, uh, according to Jewish folklore, they think they're seeing a phantom, a, a night spirit or a water spirit. And such things were, according to Jewish folklore, responsible for sinking ships. Not only did they think they were seeing a ghost, something that tends to make all people instinctively scream, not only did they think they were seeing a ghost, uh, they thought they were going to drown. So a change of plan. Jesus' second change of plan. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. They don't need to be frightened. Actually, they don't need to be frightened either on that morning or ever in their lives. They don't need to fear. Jesus is with them, and Jesus is the one who treads on the seas. Um, All three accounts of this miracle attest to the fact that something else amazing happened as soon as Jesus got into the boat. John writes, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Matthew and Mark tell us that immediately the wind died down. And Mark adds this telling detail. They were completely amazed, verse 42, for they had not understood about the loaves. 
their hearts were hardened. These disciples literally are in the dark, but dawn is not far away. And in terms of the flow of Mark's story, figuratively speaking, the disciples are in the dark, but dawn is not far away. They understand that Jesus is the Messiah, and that he is the promised king of Israel, and that with his arrival comes the kingdom of God. But they don't understand the signs yet. They don't understand the bread, the walking on the water, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God with them. Their hearts were hardened. That doesn't mean they were refusing to believe. It does mean that they couldn't yet believe because their hearts were practiced in the sinful art of deceptive unbelief. The disciples, as sinful human beings, were practiced in the art of not trusting God. So they found it difficult to believe even the evidence of their own eyes. Uh, Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. And because they are practiced in not believing God's word, they found it difficult to believe what Jesus was telling them about themselves. And what Jesus is telling them about themselves is that if Jesus gives you a command, you have the authority to overcome all opposition. The disciples are going absolutely nowhere because the wind and the waves were opposing them. They did not understand that in Christ, they too had authority over the wind and the waves. For, for Jesus, in his miracles, is showing us what it means to be human as well as what God is like. And those two things, what does it mean to be human and what is God like, those two things, it turns out, are intimately connected. For the Bible starts with these words, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Jesus is showing us the authority that we have as human beings. We have God's authority to bring in the order of God as his representatives when we're working with him and for him. Uh, Matthew actually teaches us the same lesson in his account of this miracle uh, because he provides a detail that none of the other two guys provide. He actually shows us that, that Peter also walked on the waters. Um, he got out of the boat and he walked on the waters towards towards uh, uh, Jesus, and he was doing just fine until he noticed the wind and the weather. Then he began sinking. He cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus took him by the hand and said, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Um, Jesus issued his disciples with this command. Uh, with a command. The command wasn't sit in the middle of the lake all night long going nowhere. The command was, I'll meet you in Bethsaida in the morning. 
They had a command to cross the lake, therefore they had the ability to cross the lake. All the disciples needed to do was to rebuke the wind and the waves in Christ's name, for the wind and the waves were opposing Christ's command. Okay then. The um, miracles of Jesus tell us so much, it's miraculous. Let's summarize. Firstly, this miracle shows us that Jesus is God, the God who passed by mysteriously in the Old Testament, veiled or out of sight, is now fully revealed to us in Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to meet God, meet Jesus. Secondly, the miracle shows us our salvation, what Jesus came to do. He came to walk among us in order that we might see, and in seeing, believe, and in believing, be justified and forgiven, brought back into God's family. Thirdly, the miracle shows us life without Christ, as well as life with Christ. Without him, life is a sad exercise in going nowhere in the dark. With him, light dawns and we get to where we're supposed to go. The miracle shows us God seeking us out, being compassionate in response to our predicament. Fifth, the miracle shows us Jesus treading upon the seas. Chaos, randomness, chance, accident, they still exist and they continue to be a feature of our daily lives and we continue to live in terror of them to one degree or another. But we can be reassured now. Now that we know this, we can be reassured on a number of counts. Firstly, Jesus is Lord over all of these things. Nothing happens that takes him by surprise. Nothing happens that derails his purpose. Nothing evil happens that he can't bend into his saving blessing purpose. Jesus trod upon chaos and randomness. A very clear picture of him bringing them under his authority, now completely defeated, now to do his bidding. (laughs) I want us to think about this carefully. I would be too scared to preach this if it wasn't for the fact that that I understand the, the Bible preaches it again and again. What I'm saying is shocking and demanding. Jesus turns curses into blessings. All we have to do is trust him. He brings good out of evil. I'm not saying that he turns evil into good. The evil thing is still evil. But his foot is on its neck and it now will do his bidding. And that means that we can have courage in life. Knowing that Jesus treads upon the seas should comfort us immeasurably, whether we get, whether we get a flat tire on our way to work or um, a diagnosis of a terminal illness, we can say this too, Jesus will use for his purposes in the world and in my life. This will be a blessing. It's an evil thing. I'm not saying it's good. It's evil. But Jesus is with me and he treads upon the waters. This too will serve him. This too will will serve him and I will be saved. 
So when things go wrong, when things go from bad to worse, when a sudden diagnosis fills us with fear or chance and happenstance puts everything we've worked for into jeopardy, we can trust in the Lord. This too will serve him. This too will work for your salvation. We put our trust in Jesus, even in a chance, random and chaotic world. Secondly, in Christ we share in his authority for Jesus shows us God's intention for humanity. His command is his enabling. His call is his authorization. We work out the details of his call in conversation with him as we continue to walk with him. Um, Last year, uh, as a church, we um, prayed about the weather on at least two occasions. Uh, We needed a fine, sunny, warm, but not too hot day for our centenary celebration here and then our lunch in the park uh, last February. And that's exactly what we got. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Um, then, later in the year, we, we needed a fine, warm, still conditions for our carols in the park service. We really needed for there to be no wind in order for that to work. What we got was strong winds, heavy rains, Downpours, in fact, and the coldest December evening I can remember. (laughs) However, if you were here, you'll remember the miracle. And it was a miracle. We moved the service from the park into this church in here. It was cold, dark, rainy, wet outside. Inside, it was cozy and warm. And it was the most Christmassy Christmas service I've ever been to in Australia. Furthermore, and more importantly... Um, everything that was sung and everything that was said pointed to Jesus lovingly and winsomely. It was an extraordinary event. Um, Scientifically, we already know that we have authority over the climate, for better or for worse. As Christians, we already know that. The scientists are telling us this. We all already know we have authority over over the climate. As Christians, we need to see that we have authority in Christ over the weather for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this isn't, of course, just about weather. It's, 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 it's about understanding that we have authority and power over anything that opposes God's call on our lives individually or collectively as his church. It's about understanding that as we pray and take little baby steps forward in obedience, we have authority to do what Christ has commanded us to do. We have authority to preach good news to the poor to dismantle all that is wicked and unjust, to preach the gospel to all the nations, to heal every sickness and all disease, to raise the dead, to put every demon to flight, to be salt, to be light, to make Christ known everywhere. That's his command. We have the authority. We are able to do it. Jesus will give us the victory. With Jesus, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. The Lord be with you.